This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. I understand footers. For a number of years, I was in construction. If you go to the a lot of places um, that, that I was involved in, 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 in setting up and uh, pouring footers, um, I was in commercial construction, the outlet mall. It hasn't sunk into the sand because I poured the footers. I laid those footers out right where they were supposed to be. I helped put the rebar inside of them. I poured the concrete and, uh, and set the bolts where all the supports are, are anchored into that. I did that. I understand footers. Now, if it blows over or falls in, blame the engineer, Mark, okay? But don't blame the guy. <laughs> Don't blame the guy who, uh, who, who built the, I understand footers and the, the footer of our foundation. What, the footer is the part that's really below the ground that you can't see. Uh, the footer of our foundation is, is our belief that, that the Bible is God's perfect word. And you know, just believing that, that the Bible is God's perfect word, I, I don't know if you realize this or not. One, one of the songs was, was just kind of made me reflect about the times that we're living in and, and, and how... Uh, how my heart is burdened about what I see happening in the world every single day. I mean, today we had some servicemen killed in Germany, you know, um, by somebody that shot up at a, a, a bus. Uh, and and I, I see the things that are happening every single day. And, and you know, I read the story about the, uh, you know, about what happened in the Supreme Court today and, and how a, a group that calls themselves a church can, can spew so much hatred in this world. And, uh, and what a slam that is on Christ because people look at them and they say, you see, they're Christians. And uh, the fact that we say we believe the Bible separates us from most of the rest of the culture in this world. It even separates us from a whole lot of uh, other denominations. I don't know if you realize that or not. But uh, because here at Nagshead Church, we're Bible bangers. Um, and, and, when, and as I say that, let me say this to you. We've been kind of spoiled over the years with using all the technology that we have. Uh, I say spoiled, and, and usually when you're spoiled, you also get L-A-Z-Y, lazy, right? When you come to church, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday night, I want you to bring your B-I-B-L-E, all right? And I say we've gotten lazy because, well, I know they're going to put all the verses up on the screen for me, you know? And uh, that gets us lazy because then, you know, you've been a Christian for five years and you can't find the book of Ecclesiastes unless somebody, t- unless you cheat, you know, and look in the, what's that called? Table of contents. You can't, you should be able to find that. If you've been a Christian for a year, you ought to know where all the books of the Bible are. All right? Bring your Bible. I'm going to ask you to read, get your Bibles out tonight. Now, if you didn't bring one, because you're lazy, we've provided Bibles in the backs of the pews, okay? And you're welcome to use that. But I want you to get in the habit of bringing your Bible with you to church. Now, this Sunday, I'm going to pick up with um, talking about God, the second part of our foundation, the, the next layer. The one that holds everything else up is, is our God. And we're going to spend three Sundays talking about God because we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. And we're going to talk about God this Sunday and what we believe about Him. By the way, I say Him. Why? Because we believe 
the Bible, and the Bible says God is masculine, okay? And there's a lot of people that want to toss that out and say he, she, it, whatever, uh, him. Uh, but why is it so important that you and I know what we believe? Does God really expect everybody in this room, everybody who's a partner in this church, does God really expect us to be able to spout theology and understand why I believe what I say I believe? Does God really expect that? Does God really expect all of us in this room to be theologians? The answer is yes, he does. Isn't it enough just to say, well, hey, you know what? I believe what my church believes, and if you want to know any more, you're going to have to ask one of my pastors. Isn't that okay? And the answer is no. You need to study so that you can be shown, approved by God, able that you're able to rightly divide the word of truth. Don't lay that burden on Tom and Bernie and Andy and Steve and me. Right? That's, that's what you need to work toward, is being a theologian. Well, one of our new folks who's been coming to our church and took my class a couple Sundays ago posted this on her Facebook page just this week. Uh, and she just has become one of my Facebook friends, and, and I was flipping through, and I saw this pop-up that she put on there, and here's what she wrote. Nags Head Church Rules. I am a new person, praise God. And then after she posted that, a bunch of her friends started coming on, and they were encouraging her to think, this is really great. Man, her life is changing. This is awesome. And I don't know what's been in her past, but her friends are all cheering her on. And uh, so then she came back, and she said, I took this class, four-hour class, and, and I'm going to be baptized. And, and then, then Pastor Rick gets to decide whether or not I can become a member of the church. And I came back on, I said, well, it's something like that, you know. And then one of her friends came on after that and, and, and kind of questioned, you know, why do you have to go through all that to be part of the church? And I thought, well, that's a good question. Let me ask you, don't say anything out loud, but would you know how to answer that? Would you be able to open up the word of God and say, here is what we believe about the church. Here's why we do what we do at Nag said Church. Here's how you become a part of the body. Because you can go to the scripture and explain, Sam, ecclesiology. All right. What is that, Sam? The doctrine of the church. All right. New word for you tonight. So the answer to that question and the answer to all the questions that we have about God and about faith are based on doctrine, on what we believe comes out of the Bible. Um, look, at, there's, here's a verse. I am going to give you a verse on the screen tonight, okay? And, uh, but I want you to look at how important knowing doctrine was to the first Christians. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, says this. All the believers, this is the very first church. This is the church at Jerusalem. This is right immediately after, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's preached this sermon, 3,000 people believe and are baptized. You go from a church of 120 people, that's what they had in the upper room, praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit, 120 to 3,000, boom, just like that. That's, that's really growth. You know, that's incredible. And it says, all who believed devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. The, the word there, it's a Greek word. The word therefore devoted means this. They continued and they persisted in. You know what it means to persist? It means I'm not going to leave it alone. I'm going to keep going after it and going after it and going after it. They persisted in what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to that. Now, the word for teaching in English is the same word, the Greek word is the same word for the word doctrine. That's what doctrine is. That's why we call it ancient foundations, because we are believing the apostles' teaching, what they wrote in Scripture is where we get what we believe. They devoted themselves to that. It was so important to these apostles, these 12 men. Some of you say, wait, there were 11. No, in Acts chapter 1, they selected a 12 to replace Judas, remember? To these 12 men, it was so important. And it was so important to these first believers to know what they believe, to get a handle on doctrine. And it's not just enough to have a brain full of theological facts. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do when I say be a theologian. Not have a brain full of facts. Lots of people, and I've met them and know them and spent years with some in seminary. There are lots of people who are loaded with theological knowledge, but they never use it. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he was talking to them and he said, hey, you know what? Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. You know, it, it, knowledge, in, it, how would I pair? Knowledge gives you, a, if you have lots of knowledge, you have a big head. Gail will tell you this is true, but we, um, one of our, we didn't do it this evening because we're here. It starts in, well, they're already in, it starts in five minutes. Jeopardy comes on TV. And, um, and we'll watch Jeopardy, and especially right now, they've got the teenage thing going on. They can't touch this, all right? You know, the, the, I, I'm, just, I'm just good at that stuff. I have my mind filled with all kinds of knowledge. And I can get on there, and I can go right up and down a category and wipe them out, and I know the answers, and they don't. And we get on Final Jeopardy, and sometimes I'm the only one in the house, Gail, me, and three people on TV, except for Alex, that knows the answer. And I say the answer out loud, and, and she just, she almost swooned. She's so impressed, you know. But she, and I think, dude, knowledge can give you a big head. You know, and, and it's trivia on TV, okay? What good is it, you know? Most of it isn't any good. It's just stuff, it makes you big-headed. Knowledge puffs off. And what Paul was saying to them was, Instead of using your knowledge just to fill up your brain with all kinds of facts and be able to spout out all kinds of words like ecclesiology and know what it means, Paul says what you really need to understand is while knowledge puffs up, love builds up, he says in the next verse. Well, love is what? Love is action. Love is deed. You see, what I believe should compel me to live a certain way. What I believe should cause me to act you remember a few Sundays ago, I asked you on Sunday morning if, if we truly believe John 3.16. Do you remember that message about three weeks ago? 
And we have that verse memorized. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's knowledge. We have that verse memorized. We may understand soteriology. Some of you are here tonight, you're taking a class on Wednesday nights that Sam and I are teaching on soteriology, the doctrine of what, Mark? You're in the class. Soteriology. <laughs> Deer are staring in the headlights there, the doctrine of salvation. <laughs> he's going to tear me up Saturday morning because he's my, my small group leader. He's going he's to do that to me. We may understand the doctrine of salvation. We may have it inside out. And, and I appreciate all those folks that are in that class. And we're learning some incredible things about the salvation that God has graciously provided us. But here's the deal. If I can quote John 3.16, and I can tell you about justification and sanctification and glorification, I, ex- I can explain redemption, and I can explain ransom, and I can explain election, and I can explain all that stuff that we're learning about in this whole thing about salvation, but I don't go out and share it with somebody who needs to hear it. What good has it done? It's just puffed up my head. Doctrine is to, so supposed to have an impact on my life and how I live it. So if I truly believe John 3.16 tells me that without Jesus, my friends and neighbors will perish for eternity. That should result in my behavior as I share the gospel with them, right? Does that make sense to you? If I really believe it. So here's my one point tonight. Belief changes my behavior. Why is it important for us to, to study doctrine and know what we believe? Because belief changes my behavior. It changes your behavior when it becomes belief, when it moves from the head down to the heart, if you will, and changes my life. What we believe is who we are. We just sang that a few moments ago. Your beliefs are your values. Andy made it very clear Sunday that if we say, yeah, I believe the Bible, then what does that look like in my everyday life? How does that impact how I live? Here's an example. I want you to look at a couple places in your Bible with me. I want you to turn first to James chapter 1, verse 22. If you're sitting on the front row and you need a Bible, just turn to the people behind you and say, give me a Bible, please. Bible? 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 There's some Bibles on that table right there. But you need a Bible to look. I want everybody to look at this. I'm not going to read until everybody's got a Bible they can look upon. All right? Help Larry out. He's gimpy. All right? Oh, no. That's not a sin, is it? I had somebody the other day, I was somewhere, and and there was a Bible sitting there, and I took something, a piece of paper, and I laid it on top of the Bible, and I thought they were going to have a heart attack. My grandfather was like that, I'm told. James chapter 1, verse 22. And remember, look it up. I'm not going to read so everybody's got it looking at it, right? James 1, 22. And remember, it's a, and I'm reading the NLT, it's a message to obey, talking about the Word of God. It is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey... Here's what James says it's like. It's like looking at your face in a mirror. Now, how many of you do that on a semi-regular basis, okay? At least once a day, you take a look in the mirror at your face, okay? 
We all do that, right? It's like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance, all right? Imagine the first thing in the morning, you get up, and you've got bedhead and, you know, stuff oozing out of your eyes, you know, and the whole, whole thing, and you look in the mirror, and the hair's sticking up everywhere, and the eyes are crusty, and, you know, you, know, you look at your tongue, and it looks like, you know, it's a dirt road on there, and, and you know, the, the whole nine yards, and you do nothing to change your appearance. You look at it, and you go, all right, I'm gone, I'm good. You know, when the guys were here a few weeks ago, the band that came from Lynchburg, I really wanted, I was really tempted, Nathan, to, because uh, to, these young guys, you know, how they, how they style their hair, I was really tempted to do this very thing, get up with my bedhead and come to church and preach like that, because I would fit in with the band, you know, and hair sticking up all over the place. That would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it, Caitlin? All right. You do nothing to improve your appearance. Verse 24, you see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. You just don't even think about it the rest of the day. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. For reading it? Yeah, but it's got to go beyond that. For listening to it? It's got to go, it's got to be more than that. For doing it. Now, I find it really interesting that James uses the phrase here, the perfect law of God. I want you to turn, keep your place here in James 2, but I want you to go back to Psalm 19. (coughs) James what can you tell me about James? Somebody tell me something about this man, James. He was what? He was Jesus' brother, okay? Now, if you're a former Roman Catholic, that blows your mind away because you were told he didn't have any brothers and sisters. But the Scripture says he does, all right? James, he's Jesus' brother, so James' religious background is what? Is Jewish, Not a trick question, okay? He's Jesus' brother, so his religious background is Jewish. And so here's the deal. The book of James, if you read, start with chapter 1 and verse 1, you realize James is writing this letter, this epistle, to Jewish Christians, right? Writing to Jews who have become Christians, not Gentiles who become Christians like you and me, but Jews who have become Christians. And so when he says this phrase in James chapter 1, if you look into the perfect law, every Jewish person who who hears that in the churches, bingo, their mind goes back to Psalm 19, doesn't it, Marilyn? Marilyn knows because she's got Judaism in her background. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Oh, when when they read that and heard that being read to them in their churches and in their synagogues, they thought, He's talking about, I know this verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The psalmist is telling us about the word of God. Right? Look what he says. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. You can believe every single thing it says. 
the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, doing what? Making wise the simple. All right? Ladies, look at your husband and say, see, he's talking about you, honey. Making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, never wrong. They're trustworthy and they're always right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight to life. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to those who hear them. There is great reward for those who obey. Then we go back to James chapter 1. I didn't keep my place, so let me find it real quickly. James chapter 1, verse 18, verse 25 again. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James is just repeating Psalm 19. There is great reward if we do what God's word says. And these Jewish people are saying, you know what? We don't just believe in Jesus. We believe in the whole Bible. You know, this is getting to them. Now, how does the word of God change my behavior? Let's look at the rest of these verses. Everybody keeps looking up at the screen, right? It's not going to change, okay? You can turn that off, Roxanne. Everybody keeps hoping I'm going to put something up there. That's it. We're done on the screen. Look at verse 26. James says, here's ways, here's some ways the word of God changes my behavior. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue. Now, husbands, you can turn to your wife. No, don't do that. If you claim to be religious, and we got to be balanced here, but don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. There's one way the Bible says my belief should change my behavior. Because I'm a Christian, because I believe the Bible, I should have control over the words that come out of my mouth. For the psalmist say, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God. Right? It should change my vocabulary. If your vocabulary has some words in it that should not be there as a Christian, you need to say, Lord, change my mouth. Change my vocabulary. Control my tongue. Don't let me gossip. Don't let me talk about people. Don't let me use my my words to hurt. Control your tongue. Verse 27, here's another way. He says that, Our belief should change our lives, our behavior. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means this. We must care for orphans and widows in their troubles. Right? Take one word and describe that. That says if I'm a Christian, if I believe the word of God, I should become a compassionate person. The orphans and the widows, those, and especially in their culture, those who really have need. I should care about them. I should meet their needs. One more thing. He says, and if I really believe the word of God, end of verse 27, I, should, I will refuse to let the world corrupt me. 
That's all because of what I believe. All because I've taken time to look in this mirror and say, let God show me who I really am and not forget what it looks like and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to, today, I'm going to take care of the widows. I'm going to take care of the orphans. I'm going to control my tongue. I'm not going to let the world corrupt me. And we go on and on and on. Of all the things that we know, the Bible says we should be becoming as we become like Christ. Now, for those that think that by listening to this series that we're doing on Sunday mornings, 10, 11 weeks, whatever it is, for those that think that by listening to it is going to give you a complete knowledge of what we believe, I have bad news for you because it will not. But hopefully it gives you the basics so that you can continue studying and continue to learn. God wants us all, hear me, look at me, God wants us all to be, that verse, first verse we threw up there from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, he wants us all to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine, to continue in and persist in the apostles' teaching because here's the deal. When I believe the right things, I can then make right choices in my life every single day. When I believe the right things, I can make the right choices. And if you think this series is the only time we teach doctrine here, guess what? Every Sunday, doctrine's taught here. Every first Wednesday, doctrine is taught here. In every connection group, in every Bible study, in every CLI class, in every NHCU class, doctrine is spoken here. We post doctrine on our blog. You ought to read it sometime. Doctrine is everywhere. And and that means this. It is my responsibility as a believer. I'm not talking about a pastor. It's my responsibility and your responsibility as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus to take what, take what we believe, learn it, and do something with it. So let me encourage you tonight. Learn our doctrines and ask God to use what you learn to make you more like Christ. All right, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, Impress this on our minds and our hearts. This is so important that we understand what we believe. Lord, this was the reason why why our forefathers five, six hundred years ago protested against, against the Catholic Church because they were told nobody can understand doctrine but the priests. Help us to realize, help me to realize, and all of us, Lord, to realize we can understand your word. We can read your word. We are priests. Help us to realize that. May it change our lives in the way we behave. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.